I'm curious, how many of you have ever been in a storm that genuinely scared you? I mean, you were honestly frightened. I think most of us have living in the Midwest, right? I'm curious, have any of you witnessed a tornado? You've actually seen a tornado or been in a tornado? Let me see. Okay, yeah, a few of you. That's actually one of my life goals. I want to see, I don't want to be in the middle of it, okay? And I prefer it's moving away from me, not towards me, but I really, really want to see a tornado. Ever since I was a little kid watching The Wizard of Oz and the tornado scene there, they've scared me to death and they've fascinated me at the same time. And I would love to see a tornado sometime. But I remember once... uh, Karen, my wife, and I and our, our children were driving uh, north uh, through Indiana on I-65, and we got caught in this storm, and in my life, I've never experienced anything like this. The rain was coming down so hard that it was like people were pouring buckets of water on our car from every direction. It wasn't drops, it was sheets. And I mean, we couldn't see a thing, but because we were on an interstate, I was afraid to slow down very much because you know you get rear-ended by somebody going 65 miles an hour. We were afraid to pull off, but we were blind. And it lasted for about 90 seconds. I've never seen rain come down, but my heart was beating 100 miles an hour. I got that shot of adrenaline, and it was just a very, very frightening, uh, scary thing. Sometimes storms can be like that. Sometimes our life has storms metaphorically, things that unexpectedly blow into our lives that scare us. I mean, things we didn't expect, adverse circumstances. And if you're a Christian, If you seek to live a life of faith, when an unexpected storm blows into your life, I think it's common to think, if not say out loud, God, where are you? Because we're frightened, we're knocked off balance, and we're not sure where God is at and what we're going through. I think we've all been there. Um, I know some of you are undoubtedly in the middle of a storm right now, and you're struggling Today, in our passage of scripture in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to learn of an incident where the disciples and Jesus were in a very scary storm. And the interaction that takes place between Christ and his disciples is fascinating. And I think this was an incident where his disciples learned a lot. Their life of faith got bumped to the next level as a result of this experience. And so what I'm hoping is that without us having to actually go through a scary storm, we can read about it and learn what they learned, and therefore we can walk away richer as a result as well. So um, the context for the story we're about to read is that uh, Jesus had just finished a long day of teaching. And if you were here last week, Pastor Chris did a fantastic job taking us through a couple of the parables, and specifically the parable of the farmer scattering the seed and it falling on various soils. But he had had a full day of teaching. Now, evening was approaching, the crowd had dispersed, and yet school was not yet out that Jesus realized his disciples needed one more lesson. And this wasn't going to be a lesson delivered by lecture. This wasn't a lesson going to be delivered by uh, a parable. This was going to be a life experience. This was going to be something very tangible and interactive and multisensory to where they're going to experience it. They're going to remember it. They're going to learn from it in a very, very 
powerful way. And it's night school. Night school is now in session. And uh, it reminds us of the proverb that the experience is the best teacher. So let's unpack this, see what they learned and what we can learn too. And so we're in the gospel of Mark chapter four, beginning at verse 35. I'd invite you now to please stand at the reading of God's word. As evening came, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Father God, uh, we would acknowledge to you that sometimes we're frightened. That sometimes, Lord, things come into our lives that we're not expecting and they scare us and they challenge our faith. Lord, um, let us learn as the disciples did here, Father. Uh, We ask humbly that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that you would give us open and receptive hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus and the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below sea level. About 700 feet below sea level. About 30 miles to the north of the Sea of Galilee, there's Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon rises over 9,000 feet above sea level. And so the weather dynamic in that area is this. The cold air comes streaming down the sides of Mount Hermon and it collides with the warm air rising out of the sea above the Sea of Galilee. And of course, when you have that clashing of the cold air coming down and the warm air rising, it causes sudden violent squalls that storms just pop up like that and they're short-lived, but they tend to be very, very intense. You can experience that on the Sea of Galilee even today, just as they did back as Mark's recording here in the story we just read. And so this storm had to have been crazy scary because even experienced fishermen were afraid. I mean, they weren't land lovers. They weren't guys who were not used to this kind of thing. And so for the fishermen who were part of Jesus' crew to be genuinely frightened, you know it was a storm of storms and they had a reason to be fearful. And so in the midst of all this chaos they're experiencing, the disciples realize Jesus is sound asleep. In the midst of this huge storm, Jesus is sound asleep. How many of you have people in your family that can sleep through anything. Do you know anybody? Do you have somebody in your family like that? I hate people like that, okay? I'm so jealous of people. I'm a light sleeper. I wake up like that. And, and I envy people who can fall asleep easily and stay asleep. 
I'm not one of those people. Obviously, Jesus was, all right? Jesus was chilling. Jesus was having no problems, and he was sleeping through this violent storm. And so they wake him. And I want to suggest to you, when they wake, when they woke Jesus up, they really weren't expecting a miracle. They weren't expecting supernatural deliverance. They were just looking for help to bail out the boat. I think they were just frustrated with him that he was sleeping through such a crisis. It's kind of like misery loves company. I think panic loves company too. You know, if you're panicked, you want everybody else to be panicked. So they're waking Jesus up and say, Jesus, what are you doing here? Help us out. They were freaking out. Freak out with us, Jesus. So the disciples say something to Jesus here. And actually what they say to him is actually an accusation. But I think it's an accusation that probably every person who sought to live a life of faith has at least thought in their head, if not actually said out loud. And what they said to Jesus was, don't you care? They saw the danger they were in. They saw the chaos they were dealing with. And they said, Jesus, don't you care? Now, specifically how they ended that statement, that question was, don't you care that we're about to drown? Maybe you've never thought that. Maybe you've ended it different ways. I know I have. Jesus, don't you care? I just lost my job. Jesus, don't you care? My marriage is in shambles. Jesus, don't you care? I've just received a cancer diagnosis. Jesus, don't you care? I'm lonely. Jesus, don't you care? I'm struggling with depression month after month. Jesus, don't you care? My next door neighbors are Green Bay Packer fans. <laughs> I love looking at Glenn when I make cracks like that. <laughs> Glenn, I love you. And as a Packers fan, I embrace you as a brother, okay? I'm just having fun here, okay? We have... The same issue that Jesus' disciples had, and it's this. We can't reconcile our circumstances with a Jesus who supposedly cares for us. And so when we get caught in a storm, we're like, hey, what's the deal? Jesus, why don't you care? And so when they wake Jesus up, Jesus delivers two authoritative, harsh rebukes, all right? Rebuke number one, he says, silence, be still, And so like he's speaking to an unruly child, he addresses this force of nature and causes it to end immediately. Jesus proves himself to be Lord of the storm and this violent squall stops and the scripture says there was a great calm. The phrase we would typically use there is there was a dead calm. Have you ever seen a large lake where it's like glass? where there's no waves, that's the word picture here. And you know as well as I do that once a storm stops, it takes hours before the water settles down. But when Jesus stops this storm, immediately there's a dead calm. The waves are gone. It's like glass on the surface of the Sea of Galilee. His power towards nature is seen. And so he rebukes nature. But rebuke number two, goes towards his disciples, and here's what he says to them. He says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They had been with Jesus for a while now, so they had heard his teachings, they had witnessed some incredible miracles, and they should have known better. But what happened here is a reminder to you and I 
that our greatest problems are in us, not around us. That the greatest challenges to you and I living a life of faith aren't really the things around us, it's what's within us. That's why the writer to the Hebrews gave this warning. Hebrews 3 verse 12, it says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Obviously, an unbelieving heart is going to be detrimental to a life of faith, right? And one of our challenges in being followers of Christ is maintaining a trust in Christ, even when our circumstances say, hey, it's time to panic. It's time to be frightened. And so in this night school, life experience lessons learned, I want to point out three things to you that I think Jesus was seeking to communicate, and I think his disciples picked up on him pretty easily. The first is this. The truth is, and this is a hard truth, sometimes Jesus leads us into storms. It seems counterintuitive to somebody who cares about you, right? You think they would steer you away from storms. They're looking out for your best interest. They want to keep you safe. So it seems like, no, that doesn't sound right. But folks, it's obvious here. It's crystal clear here that sometimes Jesus leads us into storms. The beginning of the story, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. My friends, it was Jesus's idea to get into the boat and cross this lake. It wasn't the disciples' idea. It was Jesus's idea. We say, well, maybe Jesus didn't know the storm was coming. Really? Is that the stance you're going to take? Right? So it was Jesus's idea. Let's get in the boat. It's dark. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. And he knew a storm was coming. He knew they were going to get caught in the middle of it. And yet they did it anyway. The bottom line is inescapable. Jesus intentionally led them into the teeth of a nasty storm. The storms in our life sometimes come into our life because Jesus led us into these storms. Now, it's also true that sometimes we create our own storms, right? That sometimes we can make bad decisions. Sometimes we can sin and we cause storms to crop up in our own life and Jesus didn't lead us there. It's our own sin that led us into that storm, right? I'll never forget the time I was working as a hospital chaplain in Joliet and a guy came in all busted up. He was drunk as a skunk and he was just totally wasted and he got all busted up in this accident and, and I was standing next to him in the ER room and he, he started crying and he said to me, why did God do this to me? And I was like, You're, you did not just say that, okay? It was just like, you know, sometimes we bring things upon ourselves, right? We do. And there's certain consequences to the choices we make. So sometimes storms of life, they're our own doing, but not necessarily all the time at all. The good news is this, my friends. Even if you're in a storm of your own making, Jesus is still merciful, Jesus still is willing to rescue us, is willing to redeem us, is willing to, to meet us where we're at and help us deal with our fear and bail us out of the situation we've put ourselves into. So even though sometimes we create our own storms, even there, Christ responds in a merciful way. Now, there's a brand of Christianity that teaches that if you really love Jesus, 
you will have a storm-free life. And they say that it's never the will of God for you to experience pain or financial problems or ill health, that God's will is for you to always be happy, always be fat and sassy, always have plenty of money in your banking account, and life should be good because that's God's will for everybody all the time. And I want to summarize my view of that by saying baloney, all right? It's a lie. It's not true. Tell that theology to Abraham or Moses or David or Ruth or Esther or Mary or the Apostle Paul, or to any one of the original disciples of Jesus, or to Jesus himself. Tell any of those people that those who really love God don't have any problems. Are you serious? My friends, it's such an incredibly unbiblical teaching, but it's super popular because you know why? It tickles people's ears. They love to hear that. They love to hear that. That's much preferred to have this idea that, yeah, if I get tight with God, I'll get this protective bubble around me and I won't have to worry about the scary storms of life. But it's not true. It's just not true. That's why Peter, in his letter, asserted this. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. He said, expect it. You're not immune. It happens even to God's people. And so when you think about the storms of life, you need to understand that sometimes Jesus purposely leads us into these storms. Now here's the second lesson I want you to pick up on. Jesus leading you into storms, yet still loving you, that's not incongruent, all right? It's easy for us to think that those are mutually exclusive things, that Jesus caring for us and, uh, and us going through difficult times, it's one or the other. It can't be both. If Jesus really cared for me, he wouldn't let this into my life. If Jesus really cared for me, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. But my friends, that's not mutually exclusive things. The hard truth is, Christ can love us and yet allow us to experience difficult things. The disciples made the mistake of thinking getting stuck in a storm equals Jesus doesn't care. I've done that. It's not a very noble thought, but I've thought that from time to time. And you know, sometimes it's, it's been petty stuff. Sometimes it's been petty stuff. Uh, there, there was a time my wife was working for a window and door company and we, we got this really nice uh, sliding glass door installed on the side of our living room. We were so excited, but it was like three feet, three and a half feet off the ground. So you couldn't go in and out of it. We needed to build a deck, but it was going to be beautiful right outside our house, this deck, but we need to save money for the deck. I'm going to make a long story short and tell you this. Every time we had the money saved to build the deck, one of our kids went to the ER Every single time we were just ready to pull the trigger to build that deck, we had an unexpected medical expense and all the money got drained out of our account. Bottom line is, six years later, we moved out of that house, still didn't have a deck. We still had a sliding glass door leading to this drop-off that would kill you, okay? <laughs> and, 
you know what? That's such a petty thing. But I remember being so frustrated at God saying, God, all I want is a deck. I'm not asking for an in-ground pool. I'm not asking for, you know, a five-week vacation to, you know, an all-inclusive spot. I just want a deck. And every time we got this close to it, I was just like, mm. you know. Now, doesn't that sound petty? Doesn't that sound like I'm being a big, giant, fat baby? But sometimes we're like that, aren't we? But, you know, sometimes it's not so petty. One of my daughters missed two years of high school because she was so driven to her bed with a severe headache. She lost all her friends. High school took her five years instead of four years. She was in so much pain. And all I prayed was for my baby to feel better. That's all I wanted. And I was like, God, am I asking too much of you to give relief to my daughter to heal her? We laid hands on her. We anointed her with oil. We did everything we could. And she laid in her dark bedroom for almost two years suffering. That's not petty, right? That's legit. That's like, okay, Dave, that sounds much more. But again, that storm lasted for two years. I was like, Jesus, don't you care that my daughter is suffering? This is the stuff that makes us or breaks us in our faith. I want to take you to what I consider to be one of the most incredible stories in the New Testament. This just blows me away. Check this out in Matthew chapter 11, the story of John the Baptist. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those who with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What in the world is going on here? Of all people, John the Baptist John the Baptist is the guy where when he saw Jesus coming at him, he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John understood he was the forerunner to Christ and he said, the guy who's coming behind me, I'm not even unworthy, I'm not even worthy enough to untie his sandals. And he said, he goes, I must decrease, but he must increase. John was the guy pointing everybody to Jesus as the Messiah. But now we get to here And John's saying, hey, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? But you know why he was struggling with this? Because what it says in verse two, John the Baptist, who was in what? He was sitting in a dank, cold dungeon put there by King Herod. And he couldn't reconcile his circumstances with his relationship with Jesus. He was a cousin of Jesus for crying out loud. And he was like, I was your guy. I was the public minister who was being your lead blocker. I was going before you, God. And now I'm wasting away. I'm isolated. I'm lonely. I'm frightened. And he couldn't reconcile his circumstances with a Jesus who loved him. And so he sent his people to Jesus saying, Jesus, did I make a mistake about you? And the only reason why he was having doubts was because of his personal circumstances. And so Jesus loved John. And so Jesus took his entourage that came to question Jesus and said, guys, let's go on a little ministry tour. And so he took him through the neighborhood, healed somebody, 
preached to the poor, cast out a demon, did these different things. And he says, go back and tell John that I'm doing the work of the Messiah. Well, John had already seen Jesus do the work of the Messiah. But it's what Jesus says at the end of this. He goes, yeah, tell him, yeah, I'm the Messiah. But then at the end, he says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm healing a lot of people and I'm helping a lot of people. But John, that's not my will for you. And when he quotes from Isaiah, the blind see, the lame walk, he's quoting from Isaiah, and, and John the Baptist would have recognized this. You know it's the one phrase Jesus leaves out of quoting from Isaiah? He leaves out the phrase, the captives are liberated. Think about that. And he says, John, it's not my will that you ever get out. And John, he didn't know it at the time, but he was probably just days away from having his head cut off. And so Jesus' final words to John, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. Last thing I want you to see is this, that we cannot control Jesus, but we must still trust him. I don't know if you noticed in this story, but it's pretty amazing that they were scared out of their minds during the storm, but you know when they were most terrified? It was after the storm. It says right there that it, it says the disciples were absolutely terrified. Now, why were they terrified then? I want to suggest to you, here's the deal. As bad as the storm scared them, when they realized they couldn't control Jesus. That thought terrified him. That he was like a storm. Like things can happen in your life and Jesus allows them and we can't manipulate Christ to give us a carefree life. Does that truth scare you? There should be a terrifying aspect to that, I suppose. But you know what's the mistake we make? As believers, we treat Jesus like a fan often. And this force, we think we can turn on whenever we want. And we can point it in the direction we want. And we can change the intensity whenever we want. But through our prayers, through our devotion, through our being involved in church, through being a good person, we can kind of control Jesus and he's kind of like a fan where we can control his power and what blows into our life and that kind of thing, right? But folks, my friends, what I want you to understand is this. Jesus isn't a fan. He's the wind. And that's the description of the Holy Spirit by which he did his ministry. And what did they say about the Holy Spirit? It says in John 3, verse 8, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. My friends, do you understand that's the work of God? That's the characteristic of the Holy Spirit, that often you can't tell where it's come from or where it's going. You don't understand what's taking place. And you can't explain what's happening sometimes. But Jesus isn't a fan. He's not ours to control. Now, here's the big difference. A storm is an impersonal force, whereas Jesus loves you. 
Jesus cares about you. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus has the power to deliver or to not deliver. But he always loves us. Tim Keller had an incredible quote I wanted to share with you, and it's this. He said, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons you can't understand. Do you catch that? Why are you mad at God in the first place if you're going through a difficult time? Well, obviously, because you think he could stop it if he wanted to, right? That he had the power and he should love you enough to stop it. Well, that's the point. If you have a God that's big enough to where your faith is not misplaced and that's true, then you've got to believe God is also big enough to have reasons for what we go through that we'll never understand. But it in no way compromises his care and his love for us. Jesus is too powerful to ever say, oops, I blew it, sorry gang. And he's too loving to ever do anything unkind to us. I want to encourage you that you can trust Christ in the storms of life. He's worthy of you following him in every circumstance. That Jesus is Lord of your storm as well.